Binge Mode is presented by Universal Orlando Resort. Immerse yourself in the next generation of blockbuster entertainment at Universal Studios Florida. Journey through legendary worlds of incredible heroes at Universal's Islands of Adventure. And live the carefree island life at Universal's Volcano Bay and All New Water Theme Park. For your next vacation, get your ticket to thrills and relaxation at www.universalorlando.com. Warning! Yes. Binge mode contains adult content. Yes, we know that these are like 10 and 11-year-old Hogwarts first years. Believe me, it contains adult content. We manage it somehow. So if that's not what you're into, please check out the recapables. One more warning. Binge mode contains spoilers. So many. We must stress this. So many. So many spoilers. Many, many, many. For these chapters and the entire series. If you cannot remember... Why your Remembrall is glowing scarlet, or what a Remembrall even is. Proceed with extreme caution. And now binge mode. The common room was packed and noisy. Everyone was eating the food that had been sent up. Hermione, however, stood alone by the door, waiting for them. There was a very embarrassed pause. Then, none of them looking at each other, they all said, Thanks. And hurried off to get plates. But from that moment on, Hermione Granger became their friend. There are some things you can't share without ending up liking each other, and knocking out a 12-foot mountain troll is one of them. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I'm Allie Rubin, executive editor of TheRinger.com. Joining me today, now that he's finished flagrantly massaging the long-standing, well-established school rules regarding first years and broomsticks so that his own house can finally compete for the Quidditch Cup, damn it! It's Ringer staff writer, right. <laughs> your headmaster. Jason Concepcion. Hey, I'm just saying, you know, the NCAA rules are kind of opaque on this. Uh, it's, it's just because it hasn't been done in 100 years doesn't mean you can't do it. Mal, found a secret for you. He's underage, but, <laughs> you know, we can do something about it. I've also found you a weather report. It's hot, but not the hottest, which means it's finally time for Binge Mode Harry Potter, where yes. we will explore every facet of the Harry Potter universe. Be you Gryffindor, Ravenclaw, Hufflepuff, or Slytherin, please Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please rate and review us five stars only. Please also follow us on Twitter at binge underscore mode, a.k.a. the underscore end. Join our Facebook group, which is just for binge mode fans and which is a renowned source of troll bashing tips. Just put the wand in the nostril. <laughs> Insert wand in nostril and repeat. On yesterday's debut episode of Binge Mode Harry Potter, we explored how the theme of discovery defines the first five chapters of the series' first novel, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Philosopher's Stone to some of you. On today's episode, we are continuing the journey by diving deep, deep into chapters six through ten of Stone. Requisite spoiler warning for today's spoiler. binge as always. One more. While those five chapters are today's primary focus, we will be going deep on details from all seven books and the wider Potter canon, the entire series, taking Sorry. it all into account from the moment our brooms take flight. So grab a chocolate frog and hand the trolley witch your sickles 
because it's time to head to Hogwarts. Jason? Yeah. Welcome. Welcome to a new year at Hogwarts. Wonderful. Before we begin our banquet, I would like to say a few words, and here they are. Nitwit! Blubber! Oddment! Tweak! Thank you. Now that that's out of the way, let us offer up a brief refresher on what actually happened in chapter 6 through 10 of Sorcerer's Stone by climbing aboard the Scarlet Steam Engine of Plot, the Hogwarts Express. Chapter 6. The journey from platform nine and three quarters. Harry spends the rest of the summer poring over his Hogwarts textbooks and bonding with Hedwig. He manages to control the extremely reluctant Dursleys into driving him to King's Cross Station. But only, we realize, because Vernon can't wait to watch Harry realize there is no platform nine and three quarters. Looking at his ticket. What? Nine and three? Wait, wait, who? Can someone help me with this? Just as Harry's panic begins to rise, meets a beautiful red-headed woman, Molly Weasley. Five of her children, Percy, the prefect, twins, Fred and George, youngest son, Ron, and daughter, Ginny. <laughs> she points to the barrier between platforms nine and ten and tells Harriet, just walk through there with a little bit of pace. Pick up the pace and walk straight through. Fred and George spot his scar and realize who he is. The train pulls away and Ron asks to share Harry's compartment where Harry meets Scabbers. Uh. Ron's narcoleptic hand-me-down rat. <laughs> Harry and Ron commiserate over a box of chocolate frogs, trading cards, the two meet Hermione Granger, who's helping a boy named Neville Longbottom search for his missing toad. It's a tough, tough look for my guy, Neville. Oh, dear sweet Neville. <laughs> <laughs> she knows who Harry is as well. After Hermione leaves, Harry has his first of many, many dust-ups with Draco Malfoy and his goons, Crab and Goyle, many of them on the train. <laughs> yes. Finally, they arrive at their destination, Hogwarts. Chapter 7, The Sorting Hat. Ooh. Professor McGonagall greets the first years, as do the ghosts of Hogwarts. The sorting ceremony begins. Harry's really nervous about where he's going to end up, or what if, he wonders, Dad decides he isn't magical at all. What if this has all been some kind of a mistake? When Harry's name is called, the hall crackles, just as the train had with murmurs of recognition. Potter? Did she say Harry Potter? After a few... Tense moments when it seems as if Harry could get sorted into Slytherin. The hat announces, following Harry's internal, not Slytherin, not Slytherin, protestations, better be Gryffindor. Later, there's a feast. And Harry gets his first look at Severus Snape. Mr. Potter. And feels, for the first of many times, a jolt of pain. Running through his scar. Ah, what could it mean? What could it mean? (laughs) Dumbledore speaks, warning students to stay out of the forest, not to use magic in the corridors between classes, and, uh, oh, by the way, stay away from the third floor corridor on the right-hand side unless you wish to die a very painful death. You don't want to be eaten by a three-headed dog, guys. That's a tough look there. (laughs) Chapter 8, The Potions Master. Harry is getting to know the castle and his presence in the halls is a constant source of excitement for the student body. Harry learns about Argus Filch. Walter Frey! (laughs) He takes an almost perverse pleasure in safeguarding Hogwarts against all manner of student-born mischief. Harry attends his first classes, including potions, with the ominous Professor Severus Snape. Mm. Snape makes it as clear as Trelawney's crystal ball that he does not care for Mr. Potter. Hagrid sends Harry an invitation to his cabin, and after potions, Harry takes Ron along. The two are already fast friends. There, they meet Hagrid's boarhound Fang and discover that dun-dun-dun, 
The break-in at Gringotts that Ron had previously told Harry about, in fact, happened on Harry's birthday, and that the vault in question had been emptied earlier in the day. Chapter 9. The Midnight Duel. Time to fly! Harry, the Gryffindors, the Slytherins, they have their first flying lesson, and Harry is a natural. The broom leaps to his command on his very first try. Up! Up! Neville? No. That's tough, <laughs> tough look again for my guy Neville. Not who, so much. Who nearly dies. Yeah. Our dude takes off even though he's not supposed to. Can't control the broom and then falls to the ground shattering his wrist. Much to the delight of Draco Malfoy who discovers Neville's remember all, a gift from Graham, lying in the grass. Draco, in response to Harry's demands to give it back, flies off. Harry enraging against Hermione's fierce protestations. (laughs) (laughs) We're all going to get to travel! (laughs) Gives chase. In a shockingly adept display of natural talent, Harry catches the Remembrall, just like catching a snitch. Professor McGonagall who's never shown any favoritism at all. Ever. Unbi- an unbiased observer in all things. <laughs> Comes down, marches Harry off to detention, to be expelled. He is sure some terrible fate awaits. But no, it's to Oliver Wood, captain of Gryffindor's Quidditch team. Wood, I found you a seeker. This is like Friday Night Lights with Voodoo. <laughs> Voodoo Tatum. He's <laughs> definitely not eligible, but it's okay. It's all right. Harry becomes the youngest house player in a century. Draco, furious that Harry hasn't been expelled, which will become something of a theme in these chapters. Draco, furious at Harry for X. (laughs) Challenges Harry to a wizard's duel. Wands out at midnight. Harry and Ron sneak out for the first of what will be many, many, many many times over the series. And Hermione, who gets locked out of the common room while trying to stop them from sneaking out, and Neville, who couldn't get back into the common room Sleeping on the ground, dodging (laughs) poltergeists out there. (laughs) Oh, Neville. I love how he's like, yeah, she fixed my arm in a minute, but I've just been like out here for (laughs) hours. Peeves has been by (laughs) twice. Mrs. Norris is around. I'm just sleeping in a corner. Neville. Thank God Neville wasn't the chosen one, though. Right? Uh, that could, I mean, it would have been tough. Oh, I think he would have done great. It would have taken a while. <laughs> Steeper learning curve for Neville. But I think he would have done great. I think we lucked out on this one. <laughs> so, uh, you know, not what Harry and Ron would have wanted, but Hermione and Neville are in tow. Commence very poorly managed mischief. The challenge was a ruse. Draco was just hoping to get Harry in trouble. Filch shows up, and in the gang's frantic effort to escape him, they inadvertently reach the area on the third floor that Dumbledore had warned the students to avoid. And they discover they're not the only ones there. There's also a three-headed dog guarding... Something? Something. (laughs) Chapter 10, Halloween. At breakfast, Harry receives a package. A Nimbus 2000 broom in clear violation... (laughs) Of eligibility rules, the gift is from Professor McGonagall, an unbiased observer in all things, who in just a few chapters has revealed herself to be an elite, elite, (laughs) elite sports homer. Unbelievable. Draco Malfoy is beside himself with jealousy yet again. Wood puts Harry through his first training session. He intends to play Harry at Seeker, the game's glamour position. Halloween arrives. Harry's been at school for two months now, and 
He's getting used to it in charms. He tries and fails to make things fly using the Wingardium Leviosa spell. Hermione is, of course, already good at this. Mm. Later in the dining hall, Professor Quirrell sets off a panic when he runs up to Dumbledore shouting, Trap! <laughs> in the dungeon! Creating perhaps the greatest Harry Potter gif of all the gifts. Dumbledore orders all students back to their dormitories, but Harry and Ron, realizing that Hermione, who's been crying in the girls' bathroom after overhearing Ron saying, no one can stand her, which was mean. Let's Very mean. Extremely mean, Ron. Run to warn her and end up battling the troll in the girls' bathroom. Harry inadvertently shoves his wand up its nose and Ron, really against all odds, <laughs> successfully deploys Wingardium Leviosa on the troll's club. Then drops the club on the troll's head, knocks it unconscious. Hermione ain't no snitch, despite the fact that to this point she has threatened numerous times to snitch. She lies, covers for the two, saying, oh, they uh, they saved me. And they all escape punishment and discover something much more rewarding, a new friendship, guys. Onward! Aww. Mal, you'll soon find out some wizarding families are much better than others. You don't want to go making friends with the wrong sort. I can help you there. I think I can tell who the wrong sort are for myself. Thanks. Crab Goyle, get her! And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's dive into the pensive to sift through our thoughts. The defining theme of chapters six through 10 of Sorcerer's Stone is friends and foes. Journey from platform nine and three quarters. Who's with you and who's against you? Who should you sidle up to and who should you spurn? Who's nice? Who's a jerk? These are the questions that face any person who's ever faced their first day at school, first day at a new job. Yes. Then there are those more subtle formulations like who is an outcast? Where does this person who I don't know stand in the school's social firmament? Are they popular? Are they not? Are they a nerd? Are they a jock? For Harry, these questions are much more pressing, existential even, because the new school he finds himself is Hogwarts. And at Hogwarts, there's like a million things that can kill Harry – or render him... And we will see all of them. <laughs> yeah, we will see all, <laughs> all the of them. the course of this series. Or render him otherwise magically inert. You know, there's a forest out there full of things that are just waiting to kill you. A lake filled with various creatures. Who knows what could happen? Wait, you mentioned a lake. Does Goblet of Fire have something <laughs> to do with water? Shouts to our guy, Jason Cahill, <laughs> former producer, whose one memory of Goblet of Fire is something having to do with water. Is there water and all of there? Hogwarts also filled with people who are magically powered and if they have some kind of ill intent could obviously do some kind of massive harm to Harry. Navigating these currents would be tricky for anyone, but Harry, of course, is famous. That's the wrinkle. The best thing about being the new kid at school is it's a fresh start, right? You go there. Nobody knows you. You have some kind of agency in how you're perceived. You can present yourself as the cool kid or as the dangerous kid or the whatever. Harry doesn't have that privilege because as soon as he arrives on platform nine and three quarters— He's recognized. Fred or George, we're not sure at this point, pointing at the scar. What's that? Are you George or Fred again? He is, aren't you? Harry Potter? The news quickly spreads to the rest of the Weasley clan. Ginny Weasley, a little bit later. Oh, mom, can I go on the train and see him? Mom, oh, please. Molly, you've already seen him, Ginny, and the poor boy isn't something you goggle at in a zoo and notice here the allusion to yes. the snake from the vanishing glass, right? Yes. Is he really Fred? How do you know? Asked him, saw a scar, it's really there, like lightning. Molly, poor dear, no wonder he's alone. And in time, the Weasleys will become more than Harry's friends. They'll become his family. I love the way she says, 
Poor dear. Poor dear. dear. So sweet. It is not a coincidence, of course, that the Weasleys enter Harry's life in a moment of need when Harry is feeling vulnerable, feeling alone, unsure of what to do or even where to turn. Where do we as human beings look when we're lost, when we're unsure? We look to our friends. We look to our family. And Harry, until this moment in his life, really has neither. Hagrid's looking promising, but, you know. Not, not around right now to shine help. Couldn't have given him any tips about how to get onto the train. Hagrid, come I, on. Listen, I would trust him with my life. <laughs> I assume he's the one who told you I would be in the studio today. Yes, but I just, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> the Weasleys, who will become both friend and family for Harry, instantly function in this way for him. When Harry tries to push out this question, the thing is, the thing is, I don't know how to, how to, Consider how Mrs. Weasley's response to that query is presented. How to get onto the platform? She said kindly, kindly. Until Hagrid, no one had ever guided Harry kindly before at all. And just where they are right now, platform nine and three quarters, is such a brilliant invention because it again reinforces this notion for us that magic is just one barrier away. One veil away. Veils will become a theme in the story, too, for both good and bad reasons. This chapter shows us that for Harry, friendship was also just one train ride away. It doesn't feel that way at first, though, because when he gets on, he has to make his way all the way to the end of the train to find an open compartment because all of these other ones are full. They're already packed with friends who know each other already, with people who are reuniting after a summer apart, people who want to look at Lee Jordan's tarantula. Even witnessing the extremely hilarious intro exchanges that we get with Fred and George, it could have been more alienating for Harry than welcoming because it could have just been another reminder that so many of the people around him already have bonds from family or friends that he lacks. And that changes quickly, though, from the book. Harry felt a great leap of excitement. He didn't know what he was going to do, Mm. but it had to be better than what he was leaving behind. It starts to get better when Ron makes the fateful choice to join Harry in his compartment. Already these two bonding almost on sight. What if Harry hadn't spotted the Weasleys on the platform? What if Ron hadn't heard from his brothers who Harry was? What if he hadn't asked to sit down? It's amazing to think about these tiny, sometimes mundane moments that forge life-altering bonds, these chance encounters that shape our lives. What if Neville's toad didn't get away from him and then Hermione didn't go looking for it and therefore didn't come by and meet them in the train compartment? What if Bill Simmons was never like, what if you two did a podcast called Binge Mode? Unbelievable. What if we get a lot of sleep? (laughs) (laughs) But my heart would be empty. Yes. My soul, too. Get that remember all out. Ron, (laughs) to his credit, has no tact. That's not Ron's style. And that actually quickens the bonding. Ron is just whatever comes to mind, Ron is going to say. He's ready to chat. That's it. He's, (laughs) listen, he's been chatting his whole life. You trying to stand out in a family with, like, multiple redheaded loudmouths? You better know how to talk. He dives right into asking Harry about his scar, whether he remembers you-know-who. From the book, Harry, who found Ron just as interesting as Ron found him, asks if all Ron's family are wizards. This is another instance of the brilliance of J.K.'s writing and and of creating a protagonist who doesn't know his own fame. Harry and Ron's friendship can blossom on equal footing. The Weasleys, in general, might be odd, but Harry doesn't think he's on a pedestal. He he actually has no context for understanding how he is viewed. It's one thing to say you're famous, but it's Very difficult to grapple with what that idea means for real, although he's beginning to now that people are just like, hey, Harry Potter. Right. He's just a boy trying to make a friend at school. And crucially, Harry's interest in Ron 
lets Ron open up yeah. in a way that accelerates the bonding as well. Harry's not the only one who's sharing information. Ron starts to discuss the size of his family. And in doing so, he reveals to Harry and to us yeah. these deep-seated insecurities. He says, everyone expects me to do as well as the others. But if I do, it's no big deal because they did it first. And then he also starts to hint at the family's economic station. Yeah. And Ron seems to think that he's said too much because, as the book tells us, he goes back to staring out the window. But Harry senses this. Harry is an astute observer, and he immediately seeks not to shame Ron or even ignore it and let the moment pass, but to comfort him by telling him that there's nothing wrong with not being able to afford an owl. And Harry says, I never had any money in my life until a month ago. Consider how quickly Harry feels this desire to comfort and soothe Ron, to make Ron feel like he doesn't need to be ashamed. Yeah. Ron immediately displays this very same protective instinct when Harry is explaining that he's not trying to be brave by saying Voldemort. Ron, you know, like everyone else basically in the Wizarding World, expresses shock when he hears those syllables forming. But Harry, as he says, just doesn't know any better. And after he says that, he voices the concern that's been eating away at him, that he's going to be the worst in the class, that he's going to know the least. And Ron tells him not to have that fear, that there are tons of people who grew up not knowing anything about magic and that everything will be okay already this quickly. Their first conversation, they're seeking to make each other feel at peace. Harry Potter, future early investor in Weasley's Wizard Wheezes <laughs> IPO, one of the most can't-miss IPOs I think I've ever seen in my life. Literally, initially, a 100% <laughs> stakeholder. <Right. laughs> When you say early investment. <laughs> so often in, in Harry Potter, it's the quiet moments that tell us so much. The way that, for instance, this is jumping way ahead. But the way Dumbledore reacts to certain moments of emotion by Harry Potter when they're alone. Harry, after buying some of everything from the trolley witch, who at this point, mercifully, is not threatening to turn pasties <laughs> into grenades or her hands into claws. Shouts to the cursed child. <laughs> Ron's lamenting his lumpy corned beef sandwich sack from the book. Go on, have a pasty. I hear that in Cho Chang's voice in my head. <laughs> have a pasty. Have a pasty, <laughs> said Harry, who had never had anything to share before or indeed anyone to share it with. They've fallen so quickly and so fully into the rhythms of friendship. And Ron tells Harry about the cards and the moving wizard portraits, how that stuff works. Here's who this person is. They nibble birdie bots. Every flavor bean together. Disgusting. And they talk <laughs> about Quidditch, which Harry is like, Quidditch who? What? Brooms? Multiple Brooms? balls? What? What? As Ron and his chipped hand-me-down wand are about to attempt some scabber-centric magic, mm. Hermione, who's again helping Neville look for Trevor, the toad, from the book. She had a bossy sort of voice, lots of bushy brown hair, and rather large front teeth. It's really rare for a character in J.K. Rowling's world to recover from this unkind first intro. Think about how much Rowling does with the descriptions of her characters. Yes. But it's important. Not all friendships are instant. Sometimes you build bonds, learn the truth of someone's nature over time. And Hermione certainly, despite Ron's absolute early rejection of her presence, <laughs> quickly earns her spot in the trio. She really um, does. Hermione's epic intro speech about all she's ready to read and learn <laughs> leads to this line from the book. I love this. Harry looked at Ron and was relieved to see by his stunned face that he hadn't learned all the course books by heart either. They're already a unit. It's them against the world. And who are they against in this moment, at least? Very, very quickly, Malfoy and his cronies. Harry's new foes. We have met right. Draco Malfoy already, though we, the readers, and Harry had not been formally introduced yet when Harry was with the 
pale, pointed-faced boy at Madame Malkin's. Harry takes Draco's measure the moment. He's like, oh, this guy's bad. That introduction (laughs) is me. This is instant. Draco is basically there on a recruiting mission. Harry is looking at these large young gentlemen on each side of Draco, bodyguards in essence, and Draco introduces them as Crab and Goyle and says, my name's Malfoy. And Ron is kind of trying to stifle a snicker, but Draco hears and rounds on him and says, think my name's funny, do you? No need to ask who you are. My father told me all the Weasleys have red hair, true, freckles, true, and more children than they can afford. That's mean, though. That's unkind. That's unkind. <laughs> <laughs> They're doing fine. They're doing fine, guys. I love red hair and freckles. Yeah. That's just, you're just complimenting him at that point. To Harry, he says, you'll soon find some wizarding families are much better than others, Potter. You don't want to go making friends with the wrong sort. I can help you there. Take a moment to think about how fraught this instant is. You know, imagine if this were real life. Would you, someone who is overcome with anxiety about whether you belong, maybe this all was a huge mistake. You don't know any of these people. Will you be able to hang? Will you be able to learn? Will you have any friends? Think of the strength it would take to resist that and how tempting it would be. This guy clearly knows what's up. This guy's got connections already. You want to join his gang? Harry? Not interested. He says, I think I can tell who the wrong sort are for myself, thanks. This is essential Harry. This is Harry in a line. He has such a strong moral compass and such a strong instinct that he trusts sometimes to a fault. Yes. Whatever the cost may be. Whatever the cost is. He's not really thinking about repercussions. It's right right or wrong. Yes. And it is equally essential to remember choice matters. Harry's choice here seals his rivalry with Malfoy, yes, but it also further cements his budding bond with Ron because Harry chose Ron. He stuck up for him. He picked him. That really matters. Chapter 7, the sorting hat. Ah, the sorting hat. Every community, every subgroup seems, on the outside looking in, homogeneous, right? Connected, of one mind. But with experience and proximity, cracks naturally appear. Schisms, the kind that can tear a community apart, set wizard against wizard, witch against witch, the kind that turns friends into foes, begin simply. They begin, perhaps, if you think about it, with sorting people into houses, which is essentially a kind of referendum on a person's character before their character is even fully realized. When that person is an 11-year-old child. Here is a a portion of the Sorting Hat's first song. You might, I don't know if I could do it. Yeah, you can. You might belong in Gryffindor, where dwell the brave at heart. Their daring nerve and chivalry set Gryffindors apart. You might belong in Hufflepuff, where they are just and loyal. Those patient Hufflepuffs are true and unafraid of toil. Or yet in wise old Ravenclaw, if you've already mind, where those of wit and learning will always find their kind. Or perhaps in Slytherin, you'll make your real friends. Those cunning folks use any means to achieve their ends. That already sounded quite ominous. And like, that's also the only verse that doesn't like beautifully flow and rhyme. I know. It's like, or perhaps in Slytherin where they'll do anything. You just watch out for them, guys. Okay. So put me on. Don't be afraid. And don't get in a flap. You're in safe hands, though I have none, for I am a thinking cap. Yay! <laughs> this idea of worlds within worlds, right. unity and division. Everyone who's here, except for Filch, you know. Tough stuff for Filch. Wizard. We don't have to blow up Filch's spot like that yet. Yet! <laughs> <laughs> 
tough, tough look for my guy, Filch. <laughs> Everyone is a Hogwarts student. Everyone is part, most crucially, of the magical world. But they're divided within. They choose to be divided within. This is a legacy of the founders. So this theme of the cost of division will be present throughout the yes. series and our podcast. But right here in this moment, the first sorting, Harry's sorting, McGonagall tells them, some stuff that sounds pretty good, actually. Yeah, sure. She says, the sorting is a very important ceremony because while you're here, your house will be something like your family within Hogwarts. This is a really nice idea. Protection, support, common goals. Harry's never had a family. This sounds lovely to him. She even kind of fronts that, you know, not everyone hates no, Slytherin. No one believes this. Everyone, every house is great. She says each house has its own noble history and each has produced outstanding witches and wizards. Like Voldemort. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. And while the houses do function as families and do foster friendships, they also exacerbate the divide among foes. Harry is looking over at the Slytherin table and thinks to himself, Perhaps it was Harry's imagination. After all, he'd heard about Slytherin, but he thought they looked like an unpleasant lot. This is the nature of prejudice. Yes. You hear something from people, and then it's self-perpetuating. That's right. Before you have the chance to actually form your own opinion, though, to be fair, he's formed an opinion about Malfoy at this point, the seeds of doubt and separation have already taken hold. From the book. A horrible thought struck Harry, as horrible thoughts always do when you're very nervous. Mm. What if he wasn't chosen at all? Ah, Harry. I love that line. Yeah, just the doubts. I mean, when you think about it, think about what Harry's done. Yes, he's perhaps made a pane of glass disappear in the zoo, spoke to a snake. None of these things on purpose. He hasn't managed to summon any magic. And here is the rubber meeting the road. He's about to place a magical item on his head that's going to tell him if he's worthy or not, where he belongs, and perhaps even if he can actually do this. The hat immediately thinks he'd do well in Slytherin. It's all here, you know. But he asks it to put him elsewhere, and because this is in many ways a story about choice, the hat obliges putting him in Gryffindor. We'll discuss the nature of how the hat does its thing in a bit, but for now, let's consider what this moment means. Harry choosing what becomes, essentially, his family. We talk about that idea often with almost everything we talk about, but especially Thrones, the family you choose, the friends you make, the influences you opt to surround yourself with, the people you want to let in and the people you want to keep out. Harry doesn't want to mean Slytherin because the closest things he's ever had to friends, Ron and Hagrid, have made him not want to be there and want to be in Gryffindor instead. I mean, like the Weasleys are basically Gryffindor, Gryffindor, Gryffindor. One of the very first things Hagrid tells him is... All the dark wizards come from (laughs) Slytherin. (laughs) So, of course, the hat thinks Harry belongs in Slytherin. Harry is chilled by this, and we understand why, of course, spoiler, because he's got a piece of the heir of Salazar Slytherin inside of him. But there's the pull of friendship, the power of choice already. They're trumping destiny, setting Harry on a lifelong course. Very charming description of Harry crossing his fingers under the table as a, quote, pale green, Ron, (laughs) is being sorted because he's already that invested, already cares that much about being able to share this part of his life with Ron. Ron should not have been worried. Legacy. Of course, but that's what makes Ron feel the worst. That same sentence that you just read about Harry, a horrible thought struck Harry as horrible thoughts always do when you're very nervous. That's how Ron's feeling too. What if I'm the first in my family who doesn't get in? That would be wild. 
What if I'm the first from my family who doesn't get into the house where mom and dad used to fuck when they were at school? Jesus Christ. We did they tell did. you that Binge Mode contains adult <laughs> content. <laughs> Still got the marks. <laughs> the bonding at the Gryffindor table begins, as does your oh, foray into Seamus, Seamus Finnegan accent well, work here. My dad's a mole. <laughs> I'm half and half. My dad's a mole. Mom didn't tell him was a witch till after they were married. Bit of a nasty shock for him. Love Seamus. Not enough Seamus. <gasps> we get that from Seamus. We hear from Neville all about how his whole family thought he was without magic until dear Uncle Algy, thoughtful guy, dropped him out of a window and Neville bounced. We're learning so much about these people. This bonding is taking place. These friendships are forging. And then, ah, foes. Snape from the book. Professor Quirrell in his absurd turban. Note, by the way, the fact that Quirrell has the turban on now means, obviously, he is possessed. Fully. Bodily possessed by Voldemort at this point. In the next chapter, the kids will discuss whether the turban is full of garlic because a funny smell hangs around it. So I guess Voldy stinks. It's actually a half-formed Dark Lord. That's what it is. That's what that smell is, guys. Stinky shard of soul. Professor Quirrell in his absurd turban was talking to a teacher with greasy black hair, a hooked nose, and sallow skin. It happened very suddenly. The hooked-nosed teacher looked past Quirrell's turban straight into Harry's eyes, and a sharp, hot pain shot across the scar on Harry's forehead. Now, it is obviously, we know, really Voldemort under the turban that is causing the pain in Harry's scar, but Harry doesn't perceive it thinks that way. it's Snape, and that's key. That's all that matters. Perception matters more than reality. This is the first of many moments where fear and doubt and hatred towards Snape build in Harry's mind. From Snape's perspective, of course, my God, what a moment. He is looking literally past Voldemort, past Quirrell in the turban, his former master, Voldemort, toward Lily's son, whom he has sworn to Dumbledore he will protect. It is Snape's first time seeing Lily's eyes in this boy's face. It is also his first time seeing basically James, his nemesis, in miniature. What a confluence of emotions for Snape. What a moment. Harry's thoughts continued. The pain had gone as quickly as it had come. Harder to shake off was the feeling Harry had gotten from the teacher's look. A feeling that he didn't like Harry at all. He's right. (laughs) (laughs) From the book, Percy saying, no wonder he's, this is Quirrell, looking so nervous. That's Professor Snape. He teaches potions. But he doesn't want to. Everyone knows he's after Quirrell's job. Knows an awful lot about the dark art, Snape. I wonder why. Again, think about these notions, how these notions travel, how prejudice and misunderstanding spread. Always count on Percy to lend a hand there, fucking building ponds. This fucking guy. Which brings us to Chapter 8, the Potions Master. Ah, Severus Snape, friend or foe, that question is absolutely essential to the experience of this story. Certainly in these early pages, Snape is presented to us as a dark and baleful presence. The first time Harry sees Snape, as we just said, a searing pain shoots through his scar and Harry thinks wrongly that Snape is the cause. Snape dresses all in black. He has lank black hair, dark, cold, tunnel-like eyes. His classroom is literally in the dungeon. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And he's the head of Slytherin House, the source, per Hagrid, of every dark witch and wizard throughout the years. Amusing contrast to McGonagall. Ron says the rumor is that Snape, head of Slytherin House, favors them. Harry says, wish McGonagall favored us. Listen, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I wish McGonagall favored us. Get the fuck out of here. I don't want to hear it. 
Her favoritism doesn't really extend to the classroom, though. Just the Quidditch pitch. She is a fiend for Quidditch action. I'm wondering, like, how much money she has on, like, the Hong Kong betting markets. She's in, like, 12 Quidditch fantasy keeper leagues. Yeah, she's, like, on the phone with her bookie. Listen, uh, I just got us a guy... Give me Gryffindor plus five. I'm telling you, I got a sure thing here. This kid, you're not going to believe this kid. Anyway. She's had Gwenog Jones in a keeper league <laughs> right since, since Jonesy was uh, in a fifth right. year. She's just like reloading, reloading, reloading <laughs> until Harry's name pops up. <laughs> and Snape takes an immediate, immediate and unambiguous dislike to Harry, picking on him in a way that is really, really unfair and... Clearly unfair to everyone who observes it. From the book, Snape says, Ah, yes. A new celebrity. (laughs) Before Snape teaches a lesson, right? Before any of the first years except Hermione have had a chance to learn anything, he's already quizzing Harry in a manner meant to humiliate him. Purposefully. Snape. Potter? What would I get if I added powdered root of asphodel to an infusion of wormwood? Harry doesn't know. Snape sneers, which is an expression that conveys pleasure derived from contempt. Snape is contemptuous of Harry, right? He feels that Potter is, for some reason, which we will discover later, unworthy. And when Harry can't answer, Snape feels validated, and that validation brings him pleasure. Aha! You're not good. Right. Snape again. Tut, tut. Fame clearly sent everything. Let's try again, Potter. Then he asks another question, and of course, Harry doesn't know, and we as readers know Harry doesn't know before we're even done reading the line. Then he docks Gryffindor a point because of a thing that Harry had nothing to do with. Cheek. This guy's an asshole. Snape is a bully, just like Malfoy, so he must be a foe, right? Definitely my favorite character in all of literature. It's, it's, it's just an amazing, let's just stop ah. for a second to talk about what an amazing achievement Snape is. Certainly my favorite character, I think, in this, the most complex oh, yeah. and my favorite character in this story. He's up there with, for me, Jamie Lannister is like that for, for Game of Thrones, and I think it's very similar where these characters appear to be one thing, but are actually much different and much more complex than anyone realizes. The We get... Some of the same literary flair with Dumbledore in reverse, but with Jamie, with Snape, with these really rich, morally complex characters who you can't appreciate in full until the end. Though I guess we can't put Jamie in that bin then because we'll never get to the end with Jamie's literary arc. But that's for another podcast. The masterstroke is you want to believe the whole time. You refuse to let go no matter how deep the doubts sink their claws into you. And then when you get the reveals, when you get everything at the end and you go back through it, every single thing makes sense. Every single detail clicks into place and is perfect. The grilling session that you just ran through, those three questions that Snape asked Harry, a really rich text. The... Asphodel-Wormwood combination makes the draft of Living Death, which Harry wound up brewing successfully with Snape's inadvertent help in Half-Blood Prince to win the vial of Felix Felicis. The Bizarre, which Snape says will save you from most poisons, ends up saving True. Ron's life, also in Prince, after Ron has been poisoned. Watch out for those love potions and then those celebratory glasses of mead after you've been brought back to yourself. And also, thanks to Snape providing more inadvertent help via the Half-Blood Prince's textbook. And of course, Wolfsbane, part of the potion that Snape brews to help dear sweet Remus Lupin, 
combat his being a werewolf. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's the hidden meaning of the Asphodel Wormwood question. Shouts here to Zach Cram for digging up this nugget. Asphodel is a type of lily, and wormwood is associated with regret and bitterness. Beautiful. Even in these early stone stages, when Harry is convinced that Snape loathes him, Snape is painted in a way that intrigues the reader so fully. We are repelled by Malfoy. We hate him. We're fully unified with Harry there. But with Snape, we're concerned, certainly, but we're also wondering, what's going on here? You know, can we maybe get like a Spotify playlist of his best monologues? This passage of him setting up what potions class is going to be, you cannot hate the character who says this. This is incredible. You are here to learn the subtle science and exact art <laughs> of potion making. Just incredible. I'm all in on Snape, right from that. Even Hagrid can't convince Harry that there's nothing going on with Snape's treatment of Harry. Harry mentions later in Hagrid's cabin, he really seems to hate me after recounting all the stuff that went in the class. And Hagrid says, rubbish. Like, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Why should he? He brings up Charlie and Harry wonders if Hagrid changed the subject on purpose. And then the book says, yet Harry couldn't help thinking that Hagrid didn't quite meet his eyes when he said that. Ha ha. Mm. At least Harry has something else to think about. The Gringotts theft, which occurred the same day Harry and Hagrid were there. The same day Hagrid was like, no safe place (laughs) in the wizarding world. I tell you this. (laughs) And featured a vault that had been emptied that very day. Ha ha. Chapter nine. The Midnight Duel. Things just keep getting worse between Draco and Harry, and Draco is something of a catalyst for Harry, because Draco's petty bullying really helps awaken the hero inside of Harry, and the anger. Yes. (laughs) The lack of discipline. We learn in this chapter that Harry is enraged by people who pick on those who are weaker than themselves. And of course, this makes sense. Harry yeah. has spent the last 10 years being bullied by yep. Dudley and his gang and by Vernon and Petunia as well. Harry's courage, his willingness to fight for other people is in many ways his defining trait. We see it here at the flying lesson. Less as steely bravery in the face of danger than as an explosion of rage at the sight of any injustice, which really overwhelms his fear. And Again, another theme here. Often his good sense. Right. Think it through. No, he doesn't. (laughs) Not Harry's strong suit. At the first flying lesson, when Draco laughs at Neville's misfortune and zooms off with the boy's remember all, Harry sees red. And not just because the remember all is probably glowing scarlet at that moment. It's in that headspace where righteous anger leads to direct action that Harry finds his real calling. No, (laughs) shouted Hermione. Madam Hooch told us not to move. You'll get us all into trouble. I would like to quickly sidebar on Madam Hooch. Yeah, tough look for her. You're a witch. You can do magic. These kids are flying for the first time. Be prepared for like, literally seems like the one thing you should be prepared for as a kid falling off a broom. Slow him down as he's falling. The book version is like, okay, he fell. The movie version is like Neville almost dies 15 times on the way to the ground. Very tough. He almost gets impaled on various items in the castle. Only a broken wrist, though, you know? (laughs) Back to it from the book. In a rush of fierce joy, he realized he found something he could do without being taught. This was easy. This was wonderful. 
He pulled his broomstick up a little to take it even higher and heard screams and gasps from the girls on the ground and an admiring whoop from Ron. That last sentence is really interesting. And from a writing craft standpoint, I think actually necessary. Harry is for the first time displaying his heroism, but it's not pure altruism here. He's thrilled Mm -hmm. at the reaction. It feels good to have people like, ooh, wow, holy (laughs) shit. Speaking of friends. Yes. Shouts to Professor McGonagall, a great and extremely biased friend to anything and everything Gryffindor Quidditch related. With Harry and Scarlet and Gold, her already existing affection for him and his late parents combine with her Buddy Garrity house boosterism instincts. It's ridiculous how corrupt she is. (laughs) To wonderful effect. (laughs) Harry Potter, never in all my time at Hogwarts. How dare you? You might have broken your neck. And Harry is sure. That he's going to be. I mean, she's mad. She's furious. She's furious that he wasn't there sooner. Yeah. Well, did you? Why did you not tell me that you had this? We would have uh, skipped this public displays to bring you on as a rigger, so no one would know that you're this good. Parvati, Ron, they're trying to come to Harry's aid, but Professor McGonagall is having none of it. He thinks she's in a rage and she marches Harry off through the castle, wrenching doors open. All these descriptions reinforce the idea that she is really pissed and Harry's in trouble. And it turns out she's taking him to Wood. Wood, thought Harry, bewildered. Was Wood a cane she was going to use on him? (laughs) This is some incredible British school system stuff right there. And then we get the truth of it. Potter, this is Oliver Wood. Wood, I've found you a seeker. The boy's a natural, she continues. I've never seen anything like it. And trust me, I would know. I scout the seeker pool as soon as they're on their first toy broomstick. Walks out of the room, calls her bookie. Yeah, put 15 on Gryffindor, I'm telling you. 15 galleons. It's a short thing now. I shall speak to Dumbledore and see if we can't bend the first year rule. I love how she's just admitting this. She's in front like, of let's them. fuck the rule. Fuck the rule. This kid's a natural. He's amazing. <laughs> Evan knows we need a better team than last year. <laughs> Flattened in the last match by Slytherin. I couldn't look Severus Snape in the face for weeks. I'm kind of turned on by McGonagall, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> she knows what she wants. I she's know. a woman of passion. It's true. Also, she keeps biscuits at her desk. Yeah. What more could you want? And she turns into a cat. Incredible yeah, woman. Incredible. And then, jokes aside, there's a... Truly lovely moment when, after warning Harry to train hard, she turns to him and says, your father would have been proud. He was an excellent Quidditch player himself. Ron is, of course, the first person Harry tells, and Ron is floored by Floored. He and Harry have become fast friends, and Ron comes to Harry's aid at once when Malfoy issues his challenge, obscuring that Harry doesn't really know how to duel or do much of anything, do anything with his wand, really, offering to be his second and that great line when he's like, well, the second's there to take over if you die. That is, I don't know why I love that line so much, but that is a personal favorite. It's just the way he casually says it. Said Ron casually. Yeah. These people have known each other for a minute and already Malfoy and Harry want to tear each other apart and Ron is jeopardizing his physical well-being and is standing in the school for Harry and they're all like, yeah, let's break school rules and sneak out and fight but something is missing right there's some ingredient missing here something bossy and smart to the point of know-it-allness and utterly beyond her years competent harry and ron need hermione though they don't do not all? know it yet don't we all need hermione yes, i think we all do we need a hermione in our lives all of us and when harry and ron are sneaking out to meet draco's challenge who should be there to remind them <laughs> that whatever this is that's happening right now it is against the rules 
Hermione continues her harangue. Now what am I going to do? Ron, that's your problem. We've got to go. We're going to be late. Just one more example, by Fantastic. the way. Of why does everyone keep saying Hogwarts is so safe? The kids literally can't get into the common room. But the Listen. murderers can in later books. The murderers, there's, the suspected a, murderers. there's a three-headed dog that kills people. <laughs> it's full of ghosts. Voldemort's soul is lurking in the building. No safer place than Gringotts other than Hogwarts where you'll yeah, fall right. off your Jesus broom Christ. and get locked out of your common room literally immediately. Harry almost Also, there will be a troll. Neville almost died. <laughs> Neville almost died. It's not even winter time. Very early on. Yeah. A lot of fraught situations early on, including this one, which right. is, of course, a trap. Sprung by Malfoy to land them in Filch's clutches. They flee and then flee again from Peeves. And when they wind up facing a locked door, Hermione comes through. Yes. She doesn't want to be there, but she's not just going to stand around when right. she is there. Handy bit of Alohomora magic unlocks the door. But the bonding can't begin just yet because a couple things. Yes. One, as Hermione cannot wait to point out. She's the first. They can't see it, but she's like, Come Malfoy on, duped you. Are you f- dummies? Are you fucking serious? You're going to duel? Nobody knows how to do anything. And he wants to duel? Also, Get the fuck out of here. did none of you notice that the yeah. three-headed dog was standing on something. Harry's like, the floor? You idiot. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't looking at its feet. I was too busy with its heads. No, not the floor. It was standing on a trap door. It's obviously guarding something, she said, glaring at them. This is an iconic Hermione Granger moment here. I hope you're pleased with yourselves. We could all have been killed. Or worse, (laughs) expelled. (laughs) She's dead, but she passed her owls. (laughs) I'm going to bed. (laughs) Chapter 10, Halloween. Tough beat on the faux front for Malfoy when he realizes that Harry hasn't been expelled. Drat! The rivalry will only grow from here, and as will Harry and Ron's friendship. Harry tells Ron what he knows and suspects about the Gringotts break-in from the book. All they wanted was a way of getting back at Malfoy, and to their great delight, just such a thing arrived in the mail a week later. Harry's broom stick arrives at his table with a note do not open the parcel at the table. It contains your new Nimbus 2000, but I don't want everyone knowing you've got a broomstick or they'll all want one. Don't open the bag of money that I just sent you and funneled through your father's church so that you could start a quarterback <laughs> immediately this also, year. Also, don't open the parcel at the table. It's shaped like a fucking broom, guys. <laughs> you know what <laughs> You know what I mean? It's shaped like a broom. Subtlety. A lost art. (laughs) Malfoy tries to rat Harry out to Flitwick, but it backfires. Yes, yes, that's right. Professor McGonagall told me all about the special circumstances, Potter. Of course she did. You think she's, she's been at this a while, guys. She knows what she's doing. Harry says, it's really thanks to Malfoy here that I've got it. Tough, tough, tough beat for Malfoy, who's still on that comet, that fucking trashy comet. Not for long. Not everyone is pleased with... Harry's triumph here. Hermione. So I suppose you think that's a reward for breaking the rules? It is. Yeah, it's exactly, it literally is. what it is. It literally, exactly the professor it broke it's it. It's literally a reward for Harry breaking the rules. <laughs> he was not supposed to fly. He did. Then he got put on the Quidditch team and got a broom. At least there aren't any nags on the Quidditch pitch where Harry takes his first spin on the Nimbus and enjoys his first meeting with a true lifelong friend, the Golden Snitch. Ah. Great moment when Wood is explaining that whichever seeker catches the Snitch wins 150 points, quote, so they nearly always win. Get the fuck out Good of game. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Harry has been in school for two months. And, quote, the castle felt more like home than Privet Drive ever had. Of course, right? He has friends. Yes. He's discovering new abilities. He finally has a purpose. But first, it's time to make objects fly in charms, guys. <laughs> Let's do it. And naturally, Hermione's natural. 
Ron Lasso from the book. Ron at the next table wasn't having much more luck. Wingardium Leviosa, he shouted, waving his long arms like a windmill. You're saying it wrong, Harry heard Hermione snap. Of course. It's <laughs> Wingardium Leviosa. Make the god nice and long. You do it then if you're so clever, Ron snarled. Hermione rolled up the sleeves of her gown, flicked her wand. It's a flick, remember, flick. Swish and flick. Swish and flick. Flicked her wand and said, Wingardium Leviosa. And this is not, as it turns out, a bonding moment. It's never fun when someone dunks on you. It's a real emotional setback from the book, Ron. It's no wonder no one can stand her. She must have noticed she's got no friends and mean. That's mean. Hermione hears this and fatefully runs to the bathroom to weep. Heads to the loo. Yeah. When Quirrell runs into the Halloween feast, his turban is skew and gasps. <laughs> In the dungeons. Thought you ought to know. Harry and Ron realize, as all the other students are making their way to the dormitories and the teachers are going to the dungeons, that Hermione does not know there's a troll on the loose. Can I stop you for a second? Are the prefects, Percy, are they not going to do a head count? You know what I mean? Yeah. Are they not? <laughs> Percy doesn't have time for a headcount. Yeah. He's too busy Percy being like, uh, you would think that the troll would have asked the prefect if prefect, it was okay to the enter the premises. And even amid their rescue attempt, they should be focusing fully on Hermione here. But no, Harry, distracted. The Snape sensors are going off as they always Sorry. are. They spot Snape crossing the corridor and disappearing from view. What's he doing? Harry whispered. Why isn't he down in the dungeons with the rest of the teachers? Why indeed? And then they smell and then see the troll. And they have an idea. There's a key. That's right. Let's lock it in that room. Only there is a problem. The problem is Hermione, (laughs) whose feelings have been bruised by Ron's careless remark, is in there weeping. Hermione, they said together from the book. It was the last thing they wanted to do. But what choice did they have? I love that. I love it. Love the way this is framed because, of course, they do have a choice. They of could run away. Of course. And any number of Hogwarts students would actually run you away. Think Malfoy is yeah, going to say, what choice like, do I have? Like, I better go in there. Crab and Goyle are in there. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Tough beat for them. That'll keep the troll occupied for a while. Quite a meal. Right. Very few other people would have the courage to do what they did, but they're Gryffindors. They're in Gryffindor for a reason, friends for a reason. Their courage and maybe a little bit of guilt for the role they played in why Hermione's in this position urges them forward. They do battle, sort of, in ish. A, ish. <laughs> half, half and half yeah. ba- kind of battle. Battle of a sort. Throwing taps and pipes. Harry leaps on the troll, his wand lodging in its nose. <laughs> And it's a good thing that Hermione lectured Ron about how to properly pronounce Wingardium Leviosa because all of a sudden Ron, really against all odds, again, <laughs> maybe the most clutch Ron moment. I mean, it's like- It's up there. It's up there. It's good. Ron successfully deploys Wingardium Leviosa, lifts the troll's club up, club falls on the head of the troll, and the troll is vanquished. McGonagall Quirrell, who is yeah. faking his terror. Oh, my God, the troll. Well. How did this happen? <laughs> Clutching his heart. He, of course, we will come to learn, is the one who let in the troll and is quite gifted with trolls in general. And Snape, they enter the bathroom, and McGonagall is, is irate. She's irate. She doesn't want to see her star Quidditch player in a situation like this. Hermione comes to the boy's defense. And what's interesting about this is that 
Hermione does not need to no. do that. In no. many ways, it actually makes no sense that she does. It certainly cuts contrary to everything that we have seen of her to this point. Yes, but in addition even to her character... Yeah. The actual series of it's events. It's not that bad. Is, it's not is that like bad. they went and saved her life. They did actually she was save in mortal right. peril. Exactly. And they saved her. Surely McGonagall and the other teachers would have accepted that version of the truth as well as they had accepted the one that Hermione just offered up. But of course, her lie does more than the truth ever could because it shows them that she understands that there's something more important than just a teacher's approval, you know, paying a debt shielding somebody from harm and they exchange these awkward little thank yous and then scurry off to their respective dormitories and then we get one of the most beautiful and meaningful lines in all of the books but from that moment on Hermione Granger became their friend there are some things you can't share without ending up liking each other and knocking out a 12 foot mountain troll is one of them oh they will do much more much more in time much more by the end of this book indeed Mal hmm Difficult. Very difficult. Plenty of courage, I see. Not a bad mind, either. This talent, oh my goodness, yes. And a nice thirst to prove yourself. So prove yourself now, Mallory Rubin. Toss the invisibility cloak over our heads and lead us past Mrs. Norris, past Filch, into the restricted section to teach us what we need to know about the sorting hat. The sorting hat! Oh... You may not think I'm pretty, but don't judge on what you see. I'll eat myself if you can find a smarter hat than me. With the opening of a rip along the brim, J.K. Rowling scintillatingly extends the proud fantasy tradition of breathing life and depth into a carefully crafted world through music that's specific to that universe. Think of the elves of Rivendell who have their music, the reigns of Castamere who have immortality and infamy in verse, if, you know, not in reality— Kvothe has his loot, as Ben Lindbergh keeps telling me. And every school year, the dirty, patched, frayed Hogwarts sorting hat has a new song. The hat, which was sewn roughly 1,000 years before the events in this series, was initially just that, a hat worn by Godric Gryffindor, one of Hogwarts' four founders who, during their reign, divided Hogwarts students into eponymous houses based on the characteristics that they each prized most. As the hat tells us in Goblet of Fire, quote, by Gryffindor, the bravest were prized far beyond the rest. For Ravenclaw, the cleverest would always be the best. For Hufflepuff, hard workers were most worthy of admission. And power-hungry Slytherin loved those of great ambition. Ah, but how to ensure the smooth continuation of the sorting process after the founders left this mortal coil? Again, courtesy of the Hat's Goblet tune. "'Twas Gryffindor who found the way he whipped me off his head. The founders put some brains in me so I could choose instead." When Harry and his fellow first years hear the opening lines of the Sorting Hat song, they're relieved. They don't have to wrestle a troll as Fred had duped Ron into believing or take a test as Harry had come to fear. They just have to be themselves. And the hat, which uses a form of legitimacy, a type of magic that we'll come to learn more about in Order of the Phoenix, assesses students' abilities and inclinations and sorts accordingly. Of course, being oneself, truly oneself, is ultimately much more daunting and defining than any test or troll session would be. From Sorcerer's Stone, the hat seemed to be asking rather a lot. Harry didn't feel brave or quick-witted or any of it at the moment. And who would, right, when faced with that kind of prospect? Harry, head already full of other people's anti-Slytherin, pro-Gryffindor rhetoric, notices that the hat seems to interact differently with each student. The hat took a long time to decide with Neville, Harry observes. But with Malfoy, it, quote, had barely touched his head when it screamed, Slytherin, 
Harry's personal sorting shows us that the hat factors in something other than the wearer's capabilities. Choice. Hmm, said a small voice in his ear. Difficult. Very difficult. Plenty of courage, I see. Not a bad mind, either. There's talent. Oh my goodness, yes. And a nice thirst to prove yourself. Now that's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Harry's desire to prove himself despite already having all of this built-in fame is more defining than any buzzword in a tune could be. Not every student fits neatly into a box, and Harry's prospective placement in Slytherin and eventual placement in Gryffindor is a testament to the power that each pupil has over the future. Of course, maybe the hat was thrown by Harry, you know, uh, having a small piece of the air of Slytherin inside of him. That doesn't mean, however, that the hat is willing to concede defeat. As J.K. Rowling has stated, the hat is, in fact, infamously stubborn, insisting that it's sourced correctly, even if a given student's path would seem to argue otherwise. Even when it gives into a student's choice, the hat still holds on to its original position. Consider Chamber of Secrets when Harry, who's questioning who he is and where he belongs, asks the hat if it placed him properly. And the hat says, yes, you were particularly difficult to place. But I stand by what I said before. Harry's heart leapt. And then the hat continues. You would have done well in Slytherin. Ah, that's a, that's a dagger for our dude, Harry. Sometimes it's hard for even the hat to figure out what it thinks. Hat stall, a term explained on Pottermore, applies to a student whose sorting took more than five minutes. And it takes that long because the hat is truly split between multiple potential houses. This, according to JKR's Pottermore exploration, occurred with Peter Pettigrew, Gryffindor and Slytherin, and our girl, Minerva McGonagall, with Gryffindor and Ravenclaw. Hermione and Neville were nearly hat stalls, but were sorted into Gryffindor just shy of the five-minute mark in Neville's case because the hat refused to give in to Neville's worry that he wasn't brave enough for Gryffindor. Good on you, hat. Also, speaking of Neville, good on you, hat, for twice serving as a vessel for the other relic of Godric Gryffindor, the sword of Gryffindor, to present itself to our heroes in moments of worth and need. Harry in Chamber of Secrets, Neville in Deathly Hallows. Because Harry has a knack for missing the sorting ceremony, which he does in Chamber, Azkaban, and Prince, and of course in Hallows when he's not at school to start the term at all, we're only treated to three years of songs during the seven books. But the hat's words in Order of the Phoenix tell us something crucial about how the hat views its role in the wizarding world. It's not just a sorter, it's a harbinger. The hat feels honor-bound to warn Hogwarts when it detects danger. In order, the hat tells the assembled of the founders falling out and the ensuing corruption of the initial vision for the house system. The hat says, And never since the founders four were whittled down to three have the houses been united as they once were meant to be. And now the sorting hat is here and you all know the score. I sort you into houses because that is what I'm for. But this year I'll go further. Listen closely to my song. Though condemned I am to split you, still I worry that it's wrong. On and on it goes. Nearly Headless Nick tells the students of the hat, which goes on to implore students and teachers to band together across house against the rising dark magic, has issued warnings like this before across the years. That moment really highlights some of the dissonance at play in the story and in the Potter community alike. The hat and the houses are foundational to this tale and crucially to this fandom. As fans, we self-sort. We place ourselves into houses. We identify with the houses we want to be in. We wear t-shirts and scarves with the colors and animals of our chosen group. We take quizzes online. When we go to Pottermore, JKR's own site, we're presented with a robust sorting test. In Cursed Child, 
we learn that Hogwarts is still sorting. Neither the bulk of fans, nor JKR, nor the characters in her story have fully disavowed sorting. Yet it's clear that there's some discomfort there, some question over whether it's right to let traits define children so young or to divide people at all. The Hat expresses this in order. In Hallows, we witness, in a memory, Dumbledore telling Snape that he sometimes thinks they sort too soon. But as with so much else in Harry Potter, that dissonance only provides more depth. Life isn't simple, and neither is sorting. Jason! Yes! I don't expect you will really understand the beauty of the softly simmering cauldron (laughs) with its shimmering fumes, the delicate power of liquids that creep through human veins, bewitching the mind and snaring the senses. But I do expect you to understand the power of the number seven. So let's split our nuggets, if not our souls, by sharing seven of our favorite insights and observations from these five chapters. You go first. Number one, Grindelwald foreshadowing. Yes. Quote, Considered by many the greatest wizard of modern times, Dumbledore is particularly famous for his defeat of the dark wizard Grindelwald in 1945 for the discovery of the 12 uses of dragon's blood and his work on alchemy with his partner, Nicky Flamel. Good old Nicky. Professor Dumbledore enjoys chamber music and 10-pin bowling. Oh, the things you learned from a chocolate frog card. It's just so interesting because... The purpose of the card and that bio in the book is that Harry will piece together who Nicholas Flamel is because of that. But ultimately, long term, big picture for the series, the Grindelwald nugget. How long in Harry Potter time do you think it will be before Harry will find himself in the card? What a great question. Right? Now he's entered the magical community, I would think it would be fairly soon. Like when Albus Severus is buying a chocolate frog on the trolley. Well, I guess he's not because he's busy fleeing from the trolley witch and her <laughs> weird scissor hands at yes. that point. But yeah, if he's if he's buying a chocolate frog, does he get a card with his dad on it? Great question. Number two, Harry's dream in this passage of Sorcerer's Stone foreshadows so much about the series. Here's the passage. Perhaps Harry had eaten a bit too much because he had a very strange dream. He was wearing Professor Quirrell's turban, which kept talking to him, telling him he must transfer to Slytherin at once because it was his destiny. So, of course, in that part, Voldemort himself is under the turban. Voldemort and Harry united in this fashion. He told the turban he didn't want to be in Slytherin. It got heavier and heavier as, of course, will the pulls of destiny and the pulls of this bond with Voldemort for Harry. He tried to pull it off, but it tightened painfully, and there was Malfoy laughing at him as he struggled with it. Then Malfoy turned into the hook-nosed teacher Snape, linking Malfoy and Snape here, right after allusions to Voldemort. This is actually some heavy Half-Blood Prince foreshadowing whose laugh became high and cold. There was a burst of green light, and Harry woke, sweating and shaking. He rolled over and fell asleep again. And when he woke the next day, he didn't remember the dream at all. That's a rich text right there. Number three, scabbers! Peter Pettigrew, you fucking villain. There's a ton here, of course, as there is with almost every line of this book. But by chapter six of book one, we've met or heard of Three of our four marauders, even though we don't know that the marauders are even a thing until book three, right? There's lots of clues in the way Ron speaks about and interacts with Scabbers, too. Quote, he might have died and you wouldn't know the difference. You mean he might have faked his death in some way? Is Ron's spell to turn a rat yellow a fake spell given as a prank by his brothers? Or is it real and it doesn't work because Scabbers isn't a rat? He's a man who's an animagus turned into a rat. Interesting stuff. 
Very good question. Number four, the chapter of the Sorting Hat provides our first introduction to ghosts. And while it initially plays as this kind of oddity to intrigue or amuse us, ghosts will be a key part of yes. this entire series. We've got, of course, Moaning Myrtle. Nearly Headless Nick is a through line of the books, but in a particularly poignant moment, Harry and Nick discuss Sirius and the nature of choosing whether or not to move on. And of course, there's Helena Ravenclaw yeah. and the information that she has about a certain object that may or may not, it is, be a horcrux. On that final front, we actually get a super early clue in this book when Harry and Nick are talking. Nick, after demonstrating how one can be nearly headless, tells the table that Slytherin has won the House Cup six years running. And then the passage goes, Harry looked over at the Slytherin table and saw a horrible ghost sitting there with blank staring eyes, a gaunt face, and robes stained with silver blood. And Seamus asks how the bloody baron got covered in blood. And Nick replies, I've never asked. Well, we know. We find out in Deathly Hallows, the baron's doomed obsession with Helena Ravenclaw that ultimately resulted in their deaths. Number five, um, the mysteries of Hogwarts Castle. From the book, here's Hermione describing the ceiling of the hall. It's bewitched to look like the sky outside. I read about it in Hogwarts A History, the first of many Hogwarts A History mentioned. Many. Hermione <laughs> loves history. From the book again, Harry's mouth fell open. The dishes in front of him were now piled with food. House elves, man, they love to cook, don't they? Where is SPW? They love to cook. They love it. I swear to God, they enjoy this life. What about secret passages? From the book again, Filch knew the secret passageways of the school better than anyone, except perhaps the Weasley twins, and could pop up as suddenly as any of the ghosts. Anyway, we've got to go. This is the twins. Anyway, we've got to go. Lee Jordan reckons he's found a new secret passageway out of the school. Bet it's that one behind the statue of Gregory the Smarmy that we found in our first week. <laughs> 142 staircases at Hogwarts, quote, some that led somewhere different on a Friday, some with a vanishing step halfway up that you had to remember to jump. Yes, that will loom large soon. Yeah. Then there were the doors that wouldn't open up unless you asked politely or tickled them in exactly the right place. Lots here about the pair, perhaps. Harry will eventually encounter. I love it. Yeah. Number six, quote, Harry watched the girl and her mother disappear as the train rounded the corner. Uh, that's his future wife and mother-in-law. Pretty wild. <laughs> just incredible. Knowing about the future marriages, there are just some really funny little moments in these introductory scenes when Ginny and Molly are discussing Harry's identity and Ginny says, oh, mom, can't I go on the train and see him? Mom, oh, please. I mean, she's talking about her future husband. That's incredible. And there might not be anything better than Ron's initial assessment of Hermione, his future wife, which is whatever house I'm in, I hope she's not in it. It's going to be actually your house that you live in together. That's what it's going to be. Number seven, Harry to Wood. So that's sort of like basketball on broomsticks with six hoops, isn't it? And then Wood's like, what the fuck is basketball? basketball? <laughs> he's not watching NBA desktop, no, I guess. Oh my God. Come no, on, he's Wood. A, he's watching Quidditch desktop. I like to think of Harry as a real process head. I think he is. I, listen, Harry is breaking all sorts of eligibility laws. As we've said numerous times, it's ridiculous. He's probably looking at Tatum right now and he's like, Yes, McGonagall's all over that. She's right. been all over that for years since Harry, he was just 11. Harry Potter, can you believe he's just 11? <laughs> <laughs> Mal, mm. what is a wizard's duel? And what do you mean you're my second? Well, <laughs> a second's there to take over if you die. Oh, man. That's a relief because every episode, duel-related, death or not, we're going to honor the person or creature that compels us the most. Today, get ready, guys, because... Ron Weasley is our king. 
great. You know what? Tell us. Good stretch for Ron. It really has been a great stretch for Ron. Good a lot stretch. of things falling into place, although he doesn't realize all the things that have fallen into place. Naturally. Yet. Naturally. But like, just from the jump, our boy, he goes into the compartment. He sits down with Harry. He finds the courage to ask if he can take a seat. Imagine if that had not happened, how different this entire story and their lives would be. I give Ron a lot of credit for bravely sharing literally every single item of food that Harry purchased. Yeah. Shows courage, I, agree. I think. <laughs> and Ron, like Hagrid in the previous set of chapters that we talked about in episode one, is continuing this tradition of serving as like a vital gateway for Harry. Oh, yeah, that's so Into important. the magical world. He talks so about important. the houses, about Quidditch, about candy, all of these things. And it's so important, too, because, you know, Hagrid is however old Hagrid is. Harry needs someone his age. That's right. He needs a peer. That can bring him into this world. Ron puts Harry on his guard with this bit of insight about the Malfoys. Quote, they were some of the first to come back to our side after you-know-who disappeared. Said they'd been bewitched. My dad doesn't believe it. He says Malfoy's father didn't need an excuse to go over to the dark side. True, true, and true. Very true. Ron, who easily could have been very jealous about Buddy Buddy Garrity McGonagall (laughs) bending the rules. I'll tell you, this kid's a secret if I ever saw one. (laughs) Is instead overjoyed for his friend. He's Harry's chief cheerleader, and that kind of thing counts. It will become increasingly hard over the course of their friendship in these books for Ron to always be that strong. But in this moment, he's just happy for his friend. He's not jealous. And when Malfoy challenges Harry to a duel, Ron's there for him. Ron is, it must be said, extremely mean to Hermione. Yeah. Extremely mean. They're 11. And we at Binge Mode do not condone this behavior no, at all, not. at any age. We do not. At any age. But to Ron's credit, he showed that he wants to make up for his shortcomings when he goes to warn and then rescue Hermione from the troll. He's eager to do so. Yes. He, he's not, there's no, I don't know, he snaps to it. He knows it's his fault and he shows us he's the kind of kid who takes responsibility and he tries to help. He is also not so shabby with a wand, even a heavily chipped one. Better than Harry at at this point. He got that one, Guardian Leviosa, down when it counted, and he knocked out that troll. In summary, Ron is bold and brave and loyal, fierce, and crucially, really funny. We need that comedic element. Shit is getting kind of dark already. Yes. And Fred and George can't be the only ones providing last, mostly because they're too old. They're out there getting laid. Well, friends, we hope you're pleased with yourselves. We could have all been killed. Or worse, expelled. Now, if you don't mind, we're going to bed. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today, that you were as excited as we are for the rest of this journey, and that you will join us again tomorrow. Yes, tomorrow, when we will be discussing chapters 11 through 14 of Sorcerer's Stone. And big thanks to our producer, Isaac Isley, and our researcher, Zach Cram, without whom we would not be able to do this podcast, frankly. Thanks, guys. We'd fall off the broom every time. Every single time. And there'd be no one there to take us to get our wrists fixed. Until then, remember, you could be great, you know. It's all here in your head. And Binge Mode will help you on the way to greatness. Hey, Mike, this is His Don Marine. 
Yeah, I want to talk about the roster that has just announced. I'm seeing this kid, Harry Potter, he's on there. First of all, nobody's known where this kid has been for the last 10 years. Second of all, there hasn't been a first year on the Quidditch team in like a century, Mike. I looked this up, and how can this even happen? This is against the rules, Mike. And then you know what I heard? I got a friend, his kid goes to the Hogwarts, and he told him that one of the teachers there bought him a Nimbus 2000. Mike, how much is a Nimbus 2000? Like 500 galleons? This is crazy, Mike. You can't tell me this is not a violation of all the eligibility laws that we have out here. I know that Gryffindors are upset. Slytherins won the last six cups. But if you can't beat them straight up, Mike, I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. I'll take my answer off the line. Thank you.